podcast is meant for general Contact health information and is not meant to override any medical advice. All questions will be screened and not contain any personal information. If you want a private consultation, contact us via positivechoice.org or you can contact your provider directly. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, welcome to the Positive Choice Wellness Podcast. I am Annalise, an exercise physiologist and nutritionist. And my name is Melanie, I'm also an exercise physiologist and nutritionist. Welcome to the show. Woo! I'm the special guest. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Oh, geez. <laughs> Melanie's got some New Year like spark going on. <laughs> I did just have a caffeine, so that could be part of it. Ah. I'm amped. Amped. Ready to go. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. Well, amped Melanie, what are we talking about today? Probiotics. Probiotics. They don't they don't amp me, but they're exciting. <laughs> they are because we we are going to get to be a little bit sciencey today. Actually, that's what I was drinking was a probiotic that's full of caffeine. So I'm amped. It's great. It's this is this is full of caffeine for Melanie, by the way. I just want to preface this. Yeah. This is not like a venti coffee that she had. No. Tell, tell them what you had. I, I, I make my own kombucha. It's a fizzy, sparkling probiotic tea, and it was a blueberry, coconut water, ginger flavor, and it was delicious and sparkling and green tea based. So yay. Yes, so let's just let's just be clear. Melanie is amped off of a relatively small amount of green tea. <laughs> hey, I'll carry the show. You do you, I'll do me. It's all good. <laughs> so, probiotics. So what well, let's just start with the kombucha then. What what makes kombucha have probiotics? What is it? Why should we care? I think we should probably even start with what a probiotic is before we get into what kombucha is, because that'll kind of lead into that. Um, so probiotics are uh, foods or cultured things that you can consume either in supplement form or food form that are full of healthy bacteria that are similar to the ones in your gut or exactly the same as some of the ones in your gut. And when you consume them, they kind of help your gut as a result because they kind of add to that good bacteria that's thriving down there already in your microbiome. Um, now kombucha, basically there's something that you put in kombucha called a SCOBY, which if it stands for symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast, SCOBY. And you add that to it with some, some starter tea, just like a sourdough. There's a starter. You add a little bit to it to get it started and it ferments. You put sugar in it and it eats away the sugar and creates carbon dioxide. It creates, um, a little bit of alcohol, but mostly acid as a result. So it's kind of vinegary and you have this kind of tart, fizzy probiotic drink that most people don't really enjoy unless you really kind of get used to it. Cause I did not like it when I first started drinking it and now I love it. Uh, it's kind of an acquired taste, but, um, yeah, that's kind of what kombucha is. Right. So it's those, it's those live cultures yeah. that ferments the kombucha and helps to feed the microbiome. Yes. Your bacteria in your gut. It's so happy down there now. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the microbiome a little bit. That's a good point. Yeah, we should do that. But this is basically the whole of our gut. So starting with the stomach and going into all of the intestines. So think of all that length of intestines. And we have a plethora of bacteria living in there. Trillions. Trillions that help us digest and process our food. Yeah. And 
they're find there's doing they're doing a lot of research now on it too. So it's not even just digesting and processing food. They're finding a strong link between between like cognitive function, so anxiety levels, depression, food cravings, things like that. Um, lots of it started in immune function. It's all being kind of tied to the microbiome or the gut, which is kind of fascinating if you think about it. That the little bacteria down there are like little little robot controlling arms that are like, hey, you should do this, and you're like, yeah, I should do that, and you don't know they're controlling your mind. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a good that's a good simplistic way to to put two it. two tin cans on a string that's what i call it <laughs> one in the brain one in the gut they talk to each other all day right and what is down there what is populated down there is dependent on the foods that you eat mm-hmm. so think of them like a little mini you yeah. Right. So they're down there and the ones that survive are the ones that are best at eating, breaking down the food, living off of the food that you are eating. Yeah. So your composition of your gut is highly dependent on what your diet looks like. It's almost like your own personal fingerprint because it's very unique to you. Like your microbiome is completely different than your neighbors or your spouses or your roommates or your dogs. Everyone is different. We're not all the same. Mm-hmm. And that'll bring another point up later when we talk about more probiotic stuff. But, um, you know, when, you, when you're consuming probiotics, you might see changes or different effects based on that fact alone if you haven't been consuming them because you have a unique fingerprint in your gut of what you need and what the makeup is of those bacteria. So you could kind of change it a little bit, if you will, which is exciting. Yes. And so one of the first ways that we add extra bacteria down there Mm -hmm. is to consume probiotic foods. Yes. Which is not just kombucha. This just happened to be what I started talking about because I just drank some. But uh there's so many different kinds of fermented foods out there. So, 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 so many different kinds. And that's the key. It's the fermentation. So it is the live bacteria. Yes, they have to be is, alive. Yes, that is fermenting the food. So what what are some other examples? Yogurt. That's an easy one. That's the one most people know of as a probiotic. They're like, yogurt, yeah. So yogurt's one of them. Uh, there's another one called Yakult, which is like a little drinkable, tiny drink. It's almost like yogurt, but it's very, I, I don't want to say watery because it's not water, but it's it's like a beverage more than, than it is like a yogurt. Yakult is kind of like a... Um, almost like a vitamin because yeah. it's just sugar water with the probiotics. bacteria the probiotics they're wonderful they're delicious <laughs> of course there is sugar water yeah they're great they taste great uh and then kefir is another one which is kind of like a drinkable yogurt that one's a lot thicker and it's a little effervescent some bubbles in it and kefir is really good because uh, it has probably like the most variety in terms of the probiotics present uh there's tempeh which is like fermented soybeans that are pressed together um and then you have kimchi, sauerkraut. Those are fermented vegetables, which, to be very clear, they're fermented and they should be refrigerated, not in a can or a jar on a shelf because they have to cook those so you don't get botulism. So uh, FYI, if you get canned sauerkraut, that's just cabbage. That's not a, that's not probiotic anymore. It was once, but it is not now. Same concept as sourdough. It was once, but not anymore. Now it's baked. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot more out there. Like Lassi is another one, which is like a fermented yogurt drink you get. It's an Indian drink. Um, natto, which is like these kind of fermented soybeans, not like tempeh at all. They're actually, they look like soybeans, but they're a little sticky. 
Yeah. Yeah. We we don't talk about those. We're going to move on. But uh, <laughs> it's a personal preference, I think. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, you, it I'm just saying kimchi and sauerkraut because that's just cabbage. But you can ferment any vegetable. It's not limited to just those. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot. A ton of different kinds out there. So these are important to help diversify our gut. So you would want to do these in the hopes that they implant in your gut and give you more diversity. Yes, we like diversity. It's good. Uh, we we talk about this a lot in, in regards to supplements. I guess I'll just kind of bop in there for a second so we talk about supplements because usually when we talk about probiotics, someone in our classes will be like, well, what about supplements? Um, so to start, firstly, the supplement industry is not regulated. So you don't necessarily know if they're still alive when you get them. So that's kind of a big risk that you're taking of supplements. It doesn't mean you're gonna like die or anything if you take them, it's just, it might just be a sugar pill at that point. There's nothing really going for you because the bacteria may have overheated in the truck or something like that. Um, but when you take supplements, you kind of want diversity in the supplement, which is when we take it, we think, oh yeah, there's a lactobacillus acidophilus, sweet. And you take it and that's it, you're good. But if it's just that one, you can kind of almost monopolize that type of bacteria in the gut, which is not a good thing for you. You like diversity and you need balance and that's putting your gut out of balance. Right, think introducing a foreign species into an environment and how that can throw off the entire um, biodiversity balance of yes, that environment. Exactly. Your gut is a similar way. Yeah. So we don't really want to like take one type of bacteria. We want a lot of different kinds, you know, minimum of four or more per supplement and or most of the packaged fermented foods out there have a lot because fermentation is different. You get whatever is, you know, big... I don't want to get too sciencey, but be, being the pH of the food that you're fermenting is always going to be a little more acidic. A lot of these bacteria thrive in that acidic environment, so it's really antimicrobial as a result. So you're only really going to get the good bacteria that grow in these fermented foods, and there's a lot of different ones that are just ambiently floating in the air. So you end up with this diversity in your fermented foods that are good for you, and there are a lot of the ones that you find in your gut because of the food source that they're eating. And going back to the supplements, you are not getting that that natural diversity. There's also the other half of this, which is there's not a lot of research that shows that taking a probiotic supplement actually results in those implanting in your gut because yeah. you have to have the other side of the coin, which is if you want healthy gut bacteria to survive, you have to eat plenty of what we call prebiotics. 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 So let's say you're taking a supplement. Let's say the supplement's really good and um, all of that bacteria is live and you swallow it, swallow it, it goes down into your gut and you're not eating a diet to support those healthy bacteria, then they are just going to die off and flush out. Yeah, you need to feed them. You know, if you get a fish tank, you don't just throw the fish in there and go, okay, bye-bye, have a good time. Like, they need food. Right. Eat the and fish. You can't offer a, a a fish. A steak dinner. A steak. <laughs> because the fish is going to be like, I don't eat this. And then the fish will die. Yeah. And it's the same thing with your gut bacteria. And we want gut bacteria that thrives yes. on things like fruits and vegetables. Beans. Beans, whole grains, because those are the ones that are going to help your health mm -hmm. the most. 
they're going to be nice and strong for sending those good signals for healthy brain activity and processing sugar down and keeping you your gut nice and clean. Yes. Something that is really kind of interesting about it, because we talk about prebiotics, which really is just another fancy name for fiber. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about fibrous foods. That's why a steak isn't a good probiotic source or prebiotic source, because steak doesn't have fiber. And if it does, you need to reassess what kind of steak you're buying. But um, when you're consuming these high fiber things, we personally, as a human being, we are incapable of digesting fiber. We cannot digest fiber ourselves. So when you consume it, we don't break it down. The bacteria's job is to break it down. So it's their food source. That's why fiber is kind of an important aspect of our diet because we don't necessarily need it, but your bacteria does. And so if you want to have all these good body, bodily functions and so forth, you kind of need that fiber for the bacteria. So think of it as feeding the fish in the fish tank. You know, you got to feed them, keep them alive. Just because fiber doesn't necessarily work for you. It's filling. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of benefit to eating it for you in general. You just don't break it down. That's really the big thing. We don't break it down. They do. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yes. It's like those little fish that hang out on, on like whale sharks and eat all the stuff on them. And that's what you're doing. You have little little fish on you. That's your probiotics or your your microbiome, and you got to feed them. That's right. You have to feed them an appropriate diet. Yeah. And then if we do have a gut populated by bacteria that are pro at breaking down steak or meat, heavy animal fats really seem to be the disruptor to our gut health. Sorry for all of you (laughs) meat-loving people. Yes. Um, but uh, those gut bacteria, when they break down the and thrive off of the meat, they also let off uh, really bad byproducts of that. And those bad byproducts are partly what starts enabling things like colon cancer to grow, mm-hmm. um, things like um, bad signals to our brain for depression, anxiety. We see a lot of that coming from these highly processed meat-heavy diets because now your gut is full of bacteria that's not serving its host well. Yes. And that kind of leads me a little bit, not, I wouldn't say tangent, because it's very related to this, but you know, they've looked at people in general and our microbiome makeup, because they're trying to figure out, this is like the, the thing they're always going to be trying to figure out, why do people get fat? <laughs> why, why do we gain weight? Why? Why, why, why? And that's, it's... Or why do some people gain weight more yeah, easily why than others? Do, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of mis... Like, we, st- we still don't fully understand a lot of biological processes that happen in the body. Like, yes, we can talk and say big words, but it doesn't mean we actually understand what's happening. We can speculate. So what they looked at was the composition of someone who was obese compared to someone who was not. And they found those two people had completely different microbiome makeups compared to each other. And... You know, not to blame your mom, but when you were in the womb, you inherit a lot of her microbiome. So part of what she did while you were gestating in there may have affected your outcome as a child and or adult, because uh, you are born with a most of what makes up her microbiome. You facilitate the rest as you get older and eat your own food. So, you know, if your mom was eating pizza and and cupcakes and, and milkshakes all the time while she was pregnant, that could have ultimately led to you having a little bit of a messed up microbiome when you were born. Because <laughs> now your body's like, hey, I like pizza and milkshakes and all this. Or let's put it another <laughs> way, a microbiome that is facilitating uh, 
extra weight. That, in better words, yes. <laughs> and, you know, that what they looked at when they compared, obviously, was like there's two, we don't want to say good and bad bacteria because there's no such thing as good and bad gut bacteria. Like, there's no bad gut bacteria. We say it's the bad bacteria for simplicity, but it's not the case. They're not bad. They just do a different job, a job we don't really want them to do. We don't want them to do that. We don't want to crave all this junky food. We'd rather have all the healthy food. But they like it, and so they're there. And what they did is they did a study on uh, mice, and they were looking at what happens in the gut with mice. And so they started off with these mice that didn't have any bacteria on them at all. They, they genetically bred these mice to be bacteria-free. They just existed in the world as these bubble mice, and they lived in bubbles. And they did a fecal transplant. Please do not do this at home. They did a fecal transplant where they got an obese mouse. They actually genetically bred these mice to be fat on purpose, and they genetically bred them that way, did a fecal tra transplant from those mice into the non- bacteria mice to see what would happen. And they also had another group of normal mice that did the same thing with those bacteria-free mice, separate group, to see what would happen. And they found, a, basically at the end of that study, the obese mice transplant made those bacteria-free mice fat. And then the normal mice stayed the same with the non-bacteria. They didn't change at all. And so the microbiome does have a lot of influence over our eating behaviors as well as what we're starting to learn, which is what's so fascinating. Now, while we can't really use that as a basis for human comparison 100% because they are mice. They are a little different, and we genetically made them, you know, fatter or bubble mice. But it's enough to give us some insight and in going, oh, maybe there's a little bit more to our gut than just, oh, we just don't want to have the bacteria that thrive on steak and fatty foods and those kinds of things. So that was my little mouse study that I think is super cool. <laughs> That's what I wanted to share. It's it's fascinating, and I think we'll see in the, the coming years, especially after – the um, pandemic gets under control yes. and there's more resources going to different types of science, I think we will, we will see a more definitive look at how, how our gut affects everything. Yeah. It's still a little bit of an unknown. Like there's a lot we know and there's a lot we don't know. So we're, I mean, we learn as we go, as with, with all dietary sciences, they, they change and mold over the years into different things. And you're like, oh, that was good then. Now we learned it's not, or maybe it isn't as good. We don't know. So we're still learning. But what we know now, lots of fiber is a good thing. Mm -hmm. That's what we know so far. Eating a very nice, diverse diet in, in plant-based foods primarily, um, you know, lots of veggies, lots of fruits, lots of beans, whole grains, that kind of stuff really tends to facilitate a healthier microbiome than a, a, than a diet consisting of like lots of cheese and meat and breads and all that stuff. Right. And a more diverse microbiome, right? Yeah. Diversity is healthy. And um, so, yeah, the more diverse your diet with plant-based stuff. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, kind of, you always mention the whole, like, how you alter your microbiome for X amount of time. Like, what was it, a month after you consume animal, like red meat? Yeah, one study showed that um, the red meat, which just to define is cow, pig. Lamb. Lamb. And... Um, it took a month for that microbiome to heal itself or go back to that person's normal. That's so interesting. Yeah. Just little changes like that is so interesting. And it doesn't mean you can't have red meat. We're not saying like, oh, they can't have it now because it changes your microbiome. It's just understanding that that is something that is a result of 
consuming red meat and it doesn't mean you can't have it. It's not going to hurt you. It's just being aware that that is happening that we know of so far. Right. And another study that I thought was really interesting when it comes to meat consumption is that, yes, we know that meat uh, disrupts some of the healthy bacteria. But what they found in this particular study was that if you're eating enough fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. that those prebiotics, the fiber, the nutrients in there actually help offset some of the quote unquote damage, for lack of a better word, but damage that the meat is doing to the microbiome. So essentially what that is saying is that it's not that meat is in and of itself not good for you. It's that you need the vegetables. Yes. Because when you eat those veggies, when you eat those those high fiber things, you kind of create like and I have to use this term mucus, because uh, your your intestines mm, mucus mm, great it's great. So your your intestines you, you produce a lot of this as like kind of a protective coating on the inside of your intestines that kind of prevents stuff from leaking into the lining and so forth. And when you eat lots of fruits and veggies, you create this thick mucosal lining inside in the intestines. So when you eat meat, you kind of have a barrier to protect yourself from any damage that might you might in, incur from that. So that's why eating lots of fruits and veggies is a very good idea in general. And it protects you from the red meat that you might consume every now and then. But if your diet is high in red meat, low in vegetables, that's really what we're talking about is if you're consuming lots of red meat and you're not eating any healthy stuff with it, you're like, I just like my steak and I like my potatoes. Yeah. (laughs) That's where you're going to get into hot water. So, and it doesn't count if the only vegetables you're eating are the iceberg lettuce and tomatoes that come on your burger. You're you're in trouble if those are the only vegetables you're eating. And what does Melanie say about iceberg lettuce? Crispy water. It's <laughs> not a whole lot of nutrients in there. No, it 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 doesn't mean you can't have it. It's fine. You can have it. It's just not giving you a lot of vitamins and minerals. It's just crunchy water (laughs) which is great for a salad if you like it it's fine but you do want like darker colored vegetables with lots of you know vitamins antioxidants minerals all that stuff it's good stuff healthy stuff just gonna say but you know kind of just to circle back though I mean as far as the probiotics are concerned because like another question I typically get as a result of talking about probiotics and like well how much do I need to eat like what do I need to do because now we're like okay we got to do this so now what do we do right that's the question (laughs) well I mean I think I think the most important thing is that you're eating plenty of plants that that's number one and I always tell my patients like we don't necessarily need to eat probiotics. If you uh, have good gut health, if you have good gut function and you're eating a heavily plant-based diet, I don't think you need to implant extra probiotics in like as a necessity. No. But if you are having some issues, if you are having IBS, if you are having um, issues with gas, digestion, you name it, um, a good first start is to start like adding in some of the, the good bacteria and then feeding it the things it's going to need to populate. Yeah. In a very diverse, well-rounded diet, you, you really don't necessarily need a probiotic in general. It doesn't hurt to have it, but you don't necessarily need that either. You just diverse diet in general. It's 
the, the epitome of health. <laughs> Right, it will kind of self-correct itself. So if you are currently eating like a meat and potatoes, meat and processed food diet, then you have a microbiome that is full of bacteria that is pro at breaking down those things. Yes. If you switch, so you switch today, now we're eating um, much more fruits and vegetables, beans and grains, first of all, you're going to have some gut discomfort because you don't have the bacteria to break that stuff down. So that's where that comes from. But over time, what will happen is that the gut bacteria that is pro at breaking down the meat and processed food will die off because you're not feeding that anymore. And the gut bacteria that's really good at breaking down the fruits and vegetables, beans and grains will populate. Yep. And the other thing to kind of piggyback off of that too, because when you mentioned, you know, when you're eating all these healthy things and your body's not primed for it, you get kind of a not great reaction. That's actually a big deterrent for people to eat healthy is they eat these fruits and veggies and beans and then their body's like, whoa, and then you might have a not so fun reaction to it. And it doesn't mean what you're doing is wrong. It just means you, you and it kind of has, it sucks to have to say this, but you kind of have to ease your way into eating well if you're not eating well at all. You can't go from a cheeseburger-based diet to a very healthy diet overnight and expect your body not to have some sort of weird reaction to it because we're we adapt. We adapt very easily. So if you're adapted to eating a kind of a processed food diet, yeah, if you eat beans and grains and, and veggies and fruit all of a sudden, and a lot of them, your body might be in purge mode because it doesn't know what to do with all this extra stuff because there's not enough bacteria there to do with the job. So your body kind of panics. And it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean there's anything's wrong. It just you ate too much that so your body couldn't handle it. So there you go. <laughs> it's not an excuse not to eat vegetables because they don't make you feel good the first time you have them. Yes. You have to kind of <laughs> ease in. So like if you're eating kind of a processed food diet, add in a little bit of veggies here or there until you get comfortable. And then you can start taking away some of the processed stuff over time. It's not an overnight thing. Overnight, I mean, you can do it if you want to. It won't stop you. But just recognize you might, ha you might have a reaction that's not pleasant. L little growing pains, little adjustment pains. It's an adjustment period. Mm -hmm. You just have to get used to eating healthy and well. It's just the way it is. As with all things, you don't go and run a marathon if you're not trained. You don't eat a really, really healthy diet if you're not eating one. Right, with a little bit of, yeah. Got to ease into it. Little, little gut discomfort. Mm-hmm. But obviously probiotic supplements are, are a good place to start if you're not eating well and you want to start incorporating something to kind of kickstart you and get you in the right path. You can definitely start, not supplements, sorry, um, probiotic foods like yogurts, things like that. Uh, you know, most people, yogurts, the base, base place to start. But here's where we get into it where people go, well, I hate yogurt or I hate these things. They're not good. I don't like them. They're too sour okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, adaptive change. Your palate will also change. Yes. Like when I, when I first talked about the beginning of this podcast where I said I had kombucha, when I first drank it, I didn't like it. My first sip of kombucha, it was, it was spoken so highly of because it was one of our former, former coworkers before we actually worked together. We were in school together and she was like, you need to try this. It's so good. And I took a sip. I was like, oh no, this is not for me. But 
I was determined to like it because I was trying to adapt to San Diego and it wasn't from San Diego. So I figured like kombucha is clearly how you adapt to San Diego life. So I pushed myself to kind of make myself drink it. And a lot of it was trying different brands and trying different flavors and figuring out what I liked. Cause you know, they're not all the same. Everyone has a different preference. I make my own cause I can make it exactly the way I like it. And at the end of it, it, I ended up enjoying it because I figured out what I liked and it worked really well for me, but it was a little bit of trial and error to figure that out. I had a few batches where I was like, this sucks. This is not good. <laughs> As we all do when we learn new things. Exactly. Just got to get used to it. And now I make my own kimchi. I make my own yogurt. I pretty much ferment way too many things in my house. And it's not to say like I fell in love with it, but I found things that I enjoy. And I found things that I think taste really good. And like I make my own kimchi because I don't like the stuff you buy at the store. I do not like it and I won't eat it. And for the longest time, I've never had kimchi until I made my own, which was the first time I really had kimchi. And I was like, oh, I could do that. That's pretty good. All right. I got this. And now now I make my own. I always have a jar of it in my fridge at all times. It's great. I love it. Yeah. So finding things that, that you love yeah. is important. Yeah, if you like sauerkraut, that's a great place to start. If you lo- and I know so many people who are like, don't like other things, but I love sauerkraut. Don't eat it on sausage. No. <laughs> it doesn't count if you're putting it on sausage. Remember we talked about the, the meat, and then, I mean, you have the veggies, but if you're trying to add the probiotic, the sausage probably isn't going to help. <laughs> I, I just say that because I've had many patients that are like, well, why would I eat sauerkraut if I can't put it on a sausage? And I'm like, well, then we need to find a different probiotic. There's a there's a sauerkraut uh, that I tried that had like jalapenos and stuff in it that was so good. It was a little spicy and it had a zing to it. And I we buy that sometimes because I you know I make sauerkraut too. But then another thing I ferment, of course. And there's more things, and that I just put it in a bowl and I just eat it out of the bowl. It's it's just like a little side salad for me. It's really good. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can you know you could get creative and find ways to incorporate. It doesn't have to be on a like a bratwurst or something. We, all, we always assume just because, oh, it's always how we have it. It doesn't have to be that way. We can change things. It's okay. It's hard. I get that. You're like, but bratwurst. Yeah, I know. But try try experimenting. If, there's thing, if you haven't heard of any of the things we've listed and you're like, what the heck is that? I've never even heard of that. Go to the store, buy it, try it, see if you like it. If you don't, try something else. It's not everyone's going to love tempeh and definitely not everyone's not going to love natto. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you know everyone has different taste preferences for what they enjoy and if you go through everything go, I hate it all it all sucks then you can turn to supplements as another resort but I do want to mention this because we're talking about supplements there's a lot of marketing out there for probiotics these days and you have to be kind of cautious on that because um, you'll see packages like chips or granola bars or, or trail mix or whatever and it's like probiotic trail mix or probiotic chips no that's not no that's not how that works (laughs) remember it's live active cultures that's what the probiotic is if you understand the science of fermentation they release carbon dioxide that's your clue so if you've got a bag of chips and it says they're probiotic sauerkraut chips because those exist and say probiotic sauerkraut chips you're like all right it's a sauerkraut chip what better than that it's a chip and it's a probiotic if the bag doesn't look like it's about to explode because it's so full of air, you know that's not really a probiotic because it releases gas if it's alive. And plus, when you make chips, you fry them. And what happens to anything when you deep fry it? It cooks. <laughs> right. So if you're frying bacteria, they're going to die. And then at the end of the day, you just have a cabbage chip. 
That's all it is. Right. A sauerkraut flavored chip. Exactly. The probiotics are not alive. Exactly. Yes. So be careful of marketing. I like that. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it's easy to be susceptible to that. You walk in like, oh, yeah, I can do granola bars. Like, eh, I don't know. And that's also where, I mean, I'm really wary of supplements that are just on the shelf, too, for that exact reason. Because I understand the process of fermentation. And if you have probiotics in a gel capsule and it's sitting on a shelf, not refrigerated, you know, are they alive? Absolutely. The question of the day, unless you have a Petri dish and you can do a little culture and figure that out, you don't know. Right. But do we have anything we want to add before we wrap things up? Consult your doctor if you're going to start taking probiotic supplements. Yes. That's the biggest thing to talk about. Always talk with your doctor before you make huge dietary changes. You never know how it's going to affect you. It's good to be, you know, cover your bases and be wary of what, what is going into your body. <laughs> and if you are having digestive issues, the first step is to talk to your doctor because you don't want to be self-treating something that actually needs some medical attention. Exactly. Exactly. Well, with that being said, if you do need dietary advice, a little sales pitch here, if you, if you do need dietary advice, you can always reach out to our clinic, positivechoice.org. We do offer uh, dietary services where you can meet with a dietitian and they can go through stuff with you. Obviously, if you really have dietary issues, it, it doesn't hurt to talk to your doctor first and then reach out to a dietitian. Um, but we do have things to support you. Yes, so positivechoice.org. Leave your questions and comments in the comment field, and we will happily answer them either online or in the next podcast. Yep. So with that being said, until next time, everybody. Bye.